Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. As you watch that, and I, I would hope you would dream with us, because as we've talked about each of these initiatives, we've talked about what God's calling us to do. It, it's how do we reach out into our community? How do we fill that space of people who might be far from God? And part of what I think we fail to take uh, advantage of, or, or sometimes we take for granted as people who've been a part of the church, I, I don't think we realize what it means to be immersed in the truth. I don't think we realize how much it shapes our lives and our homes and our marriages and our identity. You know, for me as a kid who grew up in the church, sometimes I, I can kind of take that for granted because I've been around it my whole life. That's why I love talking to some of you who you came to Christ at a later date in life because you, you remember full well how radically it changed your life. And, and as a church, that's one of the things is we're dreaming about. You know, we've talked about these initiatives and the things we're doing. And we certainly wanna build great facilities that can help us reach out. But this morning, we, we wanna look, there's a couple of other initiatives that it's not about buildings at all. When you hear Venture Family Institute, it's not we're building anything else. It's how do we create a space? How do we create a connection to our community to share what we've been immersed in because Jesus has been so kind to reveal himself to us. When you think about it, that he is the designer of the universe. So of course he knows how it's supposed to work. And sometimes I think as Christians, we just take that for granted. I love how John describes Jesus. He said, all things were made by him. That's Jesus there. He made everything. Without him was not anything made that was made. So anything you look at, anything in the universe, any structure, any design, any relationship, everything was made by him. And so if you think about if I wanna know how something works, wouldn't it be good to know the designer and have a connection to him? That's why John said, in him was life. Not just eternal life, he said, I came that you'd have abundant life here. And the life was the light of men. For people who are in darkness, who are trying to figure out life and they're trying to figure out how to parent and they're trying to figure out next steps. And they're trying to figure out why they're on the planet. They're trying to figure out why work's not satisfying them. They're trying to figure out why marriage isn't working. So many of these things that a lot of times in church, we talk about all the time and we have truth from the designer of the universe. He's the light to all people. And I love how he looks at us, his disciples, and he says, you are the light of the world. He gave us this truth, not for us to sit on it, but to share it so that other people can have it. He says, you are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. I, I love that when he's talking about his church, his people. And sometimes we reduce it down to, you know, we kind of sing this little light of mine, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Love the song, love the concept. Jesus was thinking a lot bigger than this little light of mine though. 
He said, actually, I want to pool you together in my church and you're going to be like a city that's up on a hill. And in Palestine, when a city was set on a hill and it had light in the city and you're walking in the darkness because there is no electric light at that time and you're walking in darkness for miles and you can see that city up on the hill, you go, oh man, I want to get to that. I want to see that. Jesus said, that's what you guys are. And that's what fuels us. When you think about breakthrough, when we think about as a church, we feel like God has placed us as a city on a hill. We feel like we have resources here in Los Gatos and in San Jose. We feel like the ends of the earth have come to us. We believe that we have opportunities and resources and we have truth. We've been immersed with truth because we know the designer of the universe. How do we share that light in every way possible? And we've been thinking and dreaming. And one of those is we know, hey, sports is a great way to connect with people and share the light and begin a journey with them. These festivals are a great way of doing it. Creating a third place, whether it's coffee shop, whether it's a connect, all those spaces are great ways. I, I think I might be most excited though about the initiative I'm talking about here, this family institute, because it's not a building. It's how do we share the light? How do we share the truth? How do we connect with people that as we said, the jump to a church service might be really far, but what if they could come to a seminar? What if we shared a digital resource? What if it just started with an article that said, hey, can I tell you five ways to help your teenager dealing with anxiety? and we share truth with them. Could, could I give you a workshop of what healthy families do? And we start a journey with them. Could we reach them on health issues and mental health issues and family issues and life purpose and work issues? If you looked in your guide, this initiative, and, and I'm not gonna belabor it because you've got all the information in your guide. We wanna create the Venture Family Institute as a leading source of encouragement for training for families. And it's an online resource. It would have articles, videos, online materials, along with live seminars. This connection between the two. Because part of it, if you're gonna build expertise, you need to build a digital expertise first. And, and the great thing about being in the church we have more experts sitting out here than most people realize. We have more opportunity. We have resources to connect with other experts of how do we begin a journey with someone that we could offer, whether it's digital content or a seminar, somebody who might, and you've, maybe you've got a friend that you go, yeah, if I tried to get them to the marriage class at church, they might not come. If I try to get them to the worship service, they're not ready for that jump into the house yet. But they probably would meet me on the front porch at a Venture Family Institute. They'd meet me at a seminar. I could send them an article like that. I could start building content. See, we wanna build this out and what it'll mean. And, and so when we're raising money for this campaign, we're setting money aside of how do we create the, uh, the funds for a user-friendly app that, that somebody could pull it up and go, okay, Venture Family Institute. Hey, I was Googling who helps families in our areas and that came up. Oh, wait, it's got these articles under it. Oh, they've got a seminar coming up. Yeah, I could go to that. Funds for the expert content and development and funds to create and run live seminars. Um, and as we're looking at this, I mean, we've got teams that are thinking and dreaming, how do we take next steps? We're starting to connect with some of you who have expertise in some of these areas. You've come forward and said, I wanna be a part of that. This might be something you go, yeah, I could really get behind being a part of a team with that. 
But as you think about taking those next steps, as you think about those bridges we're building, this is a key one. And then with that, we also want to follow up. I mean, you see the, the seminars, the articles, it can be live or it can be online with it, that connection. And then one other initiative is the digital discipleship toolkit. And this one is a future-oriented digital, digital toolkit to allow anyone anywhere to take a life-giving discipleship journey. And what we're talking about here is custom-developed spiritual growth tool focused on helping people grow through engagement in the seven practices of venture. So we talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus? How do we create a tool, digital tool, that helps people, helps us, by the way, not just people out there, but all of us on this journey together so that we could have a 24-7 connection as a church. Now do that again, we're looking at about a million, million and a half that we're looking toward app development. We've not spent a dime of it yet, we wouldn't spend it quick because we have so many of you who are experts in these areas, we're tapping into our expertise first and building out the strategy. But having a custom developed app with content that we can use as a church. And again, as you think about it, remember somebody's beginning a journey and hopefully we've attracted them, whether it's through sports, whether it's through a festival, whether it's through the family institute. We're then using information to engage all of those people. So at fall festival, man, we got information from everybody that came and followed up on them. Hey, what's a key next step for you? How do we go from just attracting to engaging? And ultimately the goal on all this guys, remember, is that we want them to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as missionaries, we're gonna to have to engage with them. As we do that, to have a digital tool that if somebody's beginning this journey, that if you can't be there 24 seven with them, is there a way that we can follow up with it? Is there a way that we could use a tool like this as a church? You know, we've been working with a church in uh, Cincinnati and they, they uh, really invest a lot of money on the digital space, especially in their church app. And as we've been learning from them and their level of engagement, one of the things we, we said, because I, I, I don't know about you, I look at it and I go, can technology really do ministry? No, people do ministry. And, and they said, yeah, but the way we approached it, we went back to the church in Acts 2 and we said, what were they doing that really fueled growth for that church? If you look through that passage, they devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to prayer. There were signs and wonders. All the believers were together. They, they shared things in common. They sold their property. They were very generous because they wanted to see God move in this. This is a line that stood out. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Uh, people all, all the time as church leaders, I don't know if church people, we go, man, I'd like to be a part of an Acts 2 church. And I look at it and they, they literally came together like this every day, every day of the week they were gathering together. Now, I don't know about you, it's hard for us to gather every week, once a week. It just is, given the nature of life, given where we live. And, and part of it, I, I don't beat us up over this. They lived in Jerusalem, they lived in close proximity. It was a different world at that time. We can't go back in time to the context they were in. But you know what we do have? We do have tools now they didn't have. Because of the printing press, each of us get to carry the Bible every day. You can do Bible study in your home. They had to gather every day so that somebody could read scripture to them. Isn't it great that God gave us this technology and this tool and it's changed the world? 
We live today in a world where there's digital tools that allow us to connect. And so I go back to that church in Cincinnati. They said, we went back over these things and we said, how do we connect people on the things they were doing at the church in the early times? And you think about a, a digital tool to do that, that you could pull up an app. Now, when I say an app, I'm not just talking about the venture website on your phone. That's not an app. Oftentimes we as churches, we put our websites on a phone and we go, hey, there's an app. And you look at us and go, that's not an app. An app's something you actually engage in. App's something that's a two-way street with it. There's a community involved. And, and so I'll give you, this is just a shot of that church's, this is their prayer part of their app. Can you imagine you could pull up your phone and suddenly you can be linked to everybody in your life group on the prayer app. Or you can extend it. You go, you know what? I want every pastor on staff part of my prayer circle. I want the whole church I can add. And then you post a prayer request and immediately goes out to everybody in the circle. And then you get a prayer request, you can immediately hit a button and go, hey, I just prayed for you. Or I'll send an encouraging message. And so instead of, and, and I've done this, you kind of walk through the church and somebody says something that's going on in their life and you look at them and go, oh man, I'll pray for you. And then you see them two weeks later and you go, oh, I haven't prayed for them. What would it be like instead you pull it up and go, oh, I got the venture app. You know what? I'm going to put that prayer request in right now. I'm going to give myself a daily reminder. I'm going to send this person a note at least once a week, letting them know I pray for them. Since they launched this part of that app, They've literally had hundreds of thousands of engagement and prayer, the level of prayer and connection every day in the life of the church has increased. What if you did the same thing with your Bible reading that you pulled it up, uh, uh, go back with it on a Bible reading plan. And when you pull up your reading, that suddenly that's not just the reading, you could have, hey, here's Tim's daily devotion. Oh, here's what my life group said. Here's what other people said in it. All of it is a digital tool that allows us to both grow as a church, but even more than that, and here's our life dream with it, as we're seeing people who've moved from around the world, as they start their journey with Christ, wouldn't you love to put a tool in their hand that not only helps them continue on that journey, but gives them a means of sharing with their friends and loved ones around the world? Wouldn't you love to be able to translate all those parts of it and be a part? That's the dream with the Venture app. That's the dream with this digital discipleship toolkit. In fact, if you look at all these parts of it, and I know there's a lot of information, make sure you go through your guide in it. All of these things stretch us. They stretch us as a church. They're new ways of approaching it. And, and you might look at it and you go, Tim, this is uncomfortable. I'm with you. It is uncomfortable to stretch. But I think God brings his church to that place. If he's going to new, do new things, he has to stretch us in new ways. In fact, we just sang that song, New Wine. You know what it's based off of? It's based off Jesus' teaching. Jesus said, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and the worst tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins, but the new wine is for fresh wine skins. He's describing this process and they knew that. When you had a hole in your garment, back then they patched their garments. You didn't just go down to the store, but when you patched it, you couldn't put a new piece of cloth on it. If you put the new cloth on it, when it shrunk, it would tear away again. He said, they've got a match. 
In the same way, he says with wineskins, a wine flask was usually made out of leather. They would take leather and, and have a wine flask. And over time, that leather gets hard and more brittle. And if you put new wine in it, when that new wine starts fermenting, as it bubbled and fermented, it would expand. And if you had an old wineskin, that new wine would ultimately burst the old wineskin. And so Jesus is using this because these guys would know that. This is just a common metaphor for them. He said, man, if you're gonna do this new thing, if there's gonna be new wine, you have to have new structures. You have to have new wineskins. And we believe as a church that God's called us to step out in new ways. We think there's gonna be new wine. We think there's neighbors and friends who need to know Jesus. We absolutely pray and believe that there's a harvest all around us. And everything we're investing in is, how do we have some new wine skins in preparation for? How do you stretch yourself in the structures and the way that you do things? And that's what all of these initiatives are built around. God will do new things in it. I don't even think we realize when he sent out his disciples, it was a totally new wineskin. It was a totally new radical structure. If you look at that Acts 1-8 verse with it, when Jesus sent him out, he says, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit's in you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. You're gonna cross lines to Samaria. The Samaritans were half Jewish and many of them half Assyrian or other races. And the Jews had nothing to do with them. Now Jesus did, but the rest didn't. He said, no, you're gonna cross those lines. And you're gonna cross those lines to the ends of the earth. It's a new wine, it's a new work, it's a new church. It's a radically different way of approaching it. Up until that time, for the last over a thousand years, people would come from around the earth to Jerusalem because the only place to experience the spirit of God was in the temple of God. And so it was a, you come here just so you can experience. Jesus, after his resurrection, looks at him and says, hey, new wineskin, whole new way of approaching it. And instead of everybody having to come to Jerusalem to experience the God, to experience the spirit of God, I'm gonna place the spirit of God in you. There's not one temple anymore, you're all temples. You're temples of the Holy Spirit. And this radical new wineskin, I'm gonna send my church out and put you in cities and put you in places to reach the ends of the earth, not sit here hoping the ends of the earth come. It's a new wineskin, this radical new approach. And even the disciples, even after he left, if you read through the book of Acts, they didn't just motor out immediately because they were so used to the way it had been done. And so their focus initially, if you read first seven chapters of Acts, it's Jerusalem and Judea. They, they didn't really cross many boundaries yet because it was forcing them out of their comfort zone. If you read in the book of, of Acts, in, in Acts chapter seven, persecution starts coming. And when they're forced out, you know, it's fascinating to me, the first guy who actually crosses those boundaries was not one of the disciples. He won one of the apostles even. There's a guy named Philip, not Philip the disciple, a guy named Philip the evangelist. He was a deacon serving in the church. He served practically, they were serving the widows in Acts 6, he's one of the guys that was serving in the church. And God grabbed his heart and he recognized, oh wait a second, man this new model means we have to step out in new ways. He was the first to actually go step out to the Samaritans. If you look at it in Acts 8, 
Those who were scattered went out preaching. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed Christ and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him, they saw the signs he did. God was doing these miracles through him. So there was much joy in that city. And when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. There was an absolute revival among the Samaritans. Because Philip looked at it and he said, you know what? God's called us to step out in new ways. The word went back to Jerusalem. Peter and the disciples, they heard, wait, there's a revival going on among the Samaritans. I don't know if the light bulb went off then, if they went, oh, that's what Jesus told us to do, isn't it? We were supposed to step out like that. And they went down there and they started preaching and discipling as well. Now in the middle of the revival, look what God does. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go south to a road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip's in the middle of leading this unbelievable work in Samaria. And God looks at him, he says, yeah, I got something different for you. I want you to step out again. I want you to stretch yourself again. I want you to just trust me, go to a desert road. And I, I don't know about you, if I was Philip, I'd be like, God, this was my big shot. I mean, I was just a deacon. Now I'm leading this whole thing. The apostles are following my lead on it. I might be tempted to hold on to what I had, but not Philip. Even though, and, and, and this is a fascinating part to me, even though God just says, go to an empty road in the middle of the desert and trust me. And once he gets there, look what he has. He rose and went and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. God has brought the ends of the earth near to him. And, and he says, Philip, I've got a divine appointment with you that I don't want you to miss this opportunity. And he sends him to a desert road and there's this Ethiopian official. He served Candace. Candace was the name of the queen of Ethiopia, not her formal name, it was the title. Uh, in, in Greek, Kandake or Candace. So he's a high official from Africa. And, and he's come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, now here's the interesting thing is it describes him, he's a eunuch. He'd been castrated. And part of that, that was the traditional practice back then, especially where there was a queen involved. Any of the men that would serve around the queen were often castrated in protection of her. And so as he's come to Jerusalem, if you know anything about Jewish law, one, he's a Gentile. Two, as a eunuch, he could come to the temple grounds, but under the old system, the old wineskins, he couldn't go in the temple. He couldn't go and, and worship directly. And, and, and God's drawn his heart so much that he actually purchased a scroll of part of Isaiah. And, and you don't realize those were not for sale for cheap. People didn't have those, usually just the temple or the priest. He spent a lot of personal money just to read more about what God was doing. I love how God has prepared this man from the ends of the earth and he's brought him near and he's got a divine appointment. And Philip, 
The spirit said to Philip, go join his chariot. Philip ran and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you're even reading? And he said, how can I understand unless somebody tells me? He bought the scroll, but he doesn't know what it means. He invited Philip to come and the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. He's reading from Isaiah 53. Anybody know anything about Isaiah 53? It's a prophetic passage. The whole chapter is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the sheep. Jesus is the one that was slaughtered. In that same passage, they would read the passage that says, all we like sheep have gone astray. God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Man, I can't think of a better passage that this guy has purchased to find out what life is all about. And Philip, after he reads it, Philip, eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does this prophet say? Is it about him or someone else? Is he writing about his own life? Who is he writing about? Don't you love his genuine curiosity with this? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Philip gets into the chariot and they start talking about Jesus. He starts telling him, this is what Isaiah 53 means. This is what Jesus has done. This is the one that was sacrificed. He shares the good news with them. And he is so moved in that moment that he said, hey, I believe this, can I get baptized? And sometimes I get asked by people, they go, man, do you do a baptism of somebody, man, they've just made that step? I say, absolutely, that's what they did in Acts. There's no formality in it if you believe. He believed and they commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And I I love this because this models what we've been dreaming about. We wanna see people who've come from other countries. We wanna see those that God has brought near to us. We wanna see those that maybe they're curious, but they don't know the message. They don't know the good news. They don't have answers we have. And they're all around us. And I think people like Philip who step out by faith and go, yeah, I wanna meet some of those divine appointments. I wanna be a part of that process. And this guy comes to Christ and he's baptized. And then look at this, when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. He literally just disappears. He's teleported somewhere else by the Holy Spirit. It's kind of strange to me. Can you imagine being the eunuch? Imagine if somebody's baptizing you right over there and you come up out of the water and they're gone. That's what happened in it. But the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. You know what happened with him? He ended up going back to Ethiopia. We know from church history. He ended up being a witness there and establishing the church there. And, and, and I love how God weaves things together. Because remember what he was reading that passage in Isaiah 53? He would have purchased a part of that scroll, probably the whole suffering servant part that would be put together in that. And here he is, this eunuch, this Gentile, this Ethiopian, who as he came into Jerusalem, he, he's not even able to go in the temple because of his status, because of who he is. But God had a divine appointment for him. And he found out about the good news of Jesus Christ. And he got baptized. 
Man, that part of the great commission. And he went on his way rejoicing. I can only imagine as he kept reading in Isaiah, because if you go down about 30 verses later, they didn't have chapters then. If you just go down 30 verses later, there's this prophetic promise God had. And look what he describes this one day when Jesus comes. Isaiah 56, here's this guy reading it. It says, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. That guy would read that and go, well, that's me. Yeah, I believed in the Lord. Isaiah says, you're never gonna be separated from him. Let not the eunuch say, man, you imagine when he read that part, he go, whoa, that's me. Let him not say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Man, I, I can only imagine the moment. Here's this guy reading through Isaiah and you come across those passages. And this promise that was written hundreds of years before. When God says, I'm gonna do this new thing and it's for, I don't care if you've been a foreigner. I don't care where you came from. I don't care if you're a eunuch. I don't care what your status has been. You can be a part of my family and my household. And when God does it, he does it forever. But for that message to go out, it takes some Phillips. It takes some people who are willing to step out across boundaries. It takes people who are willing to step out by faith. And I'm telling you guys, new wineskins are always hard. That's why the people of God are always slow. It's like, did you really mean that God? It's always hard. It always stretches us. It always costs something. It's, it's always beyond us in that. Believe me, I have had many a day when I've looked at all these initiatives. I look at this vision God's called us. I've looked at all this and there's many a day that I'm like, why are we doing this to ourselves? I mean, church has been going well. We know how to do this. It's healthy. We've got programs. Everything's moving. It's hard to add new services. It's hard to do those festivals. Ask any of our staff with it. It's hard to raise money. It's even harder to give it. It's hard to launch new initiatives and try a family institute and step into new spaces. It's hard to do. And it's the easiest thing in the world to do things the way we've been doing because we know how to do it and we know how to pull that off. It's hard to come to a place of faith and go, God, are you calling us to this? And will we step out and will we go meet people? And when we go to the desert road, even if that's what it cost, we will go there. New wineskins are always hard. but you do new wineskins if you wanna see new wine. When God says, I wanna do a new work and I wanna reach new people and I don't want my church just doing what they know how to do, I wanna push them to the edge of what's beyond them because everything in front of us, let's be honest, it's beyond any of us here, but it's not beyond our God. 
And the excitement in me, because I've had a few people ask, they say, man, are, are you ready for the breakthrough campaign to, to be done? I go, it's not done. We're just starting. And the reality is, if God knocks our socks off with blessing, when we add all these new things, it's gonna add new complications and new ways. But the thing that excites me the most is I think it's gonna mobilize you and me to be Phillips, to be Paul's, in a new way to say, you know what, I'll sacrifice all things for all people so that by all means I can reach some. Guys, I think God has people like that eunuch. I think there's people waiting for divine conversations. I think there's people waiting for divine connection. And I believe he's mobilizing our church in this season to be the ones who will step out on a desert road, to step out in a place that we can't see because we believe God's led us there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for how you've worked in the past. We thank you for, for Philip, I, I just thank you for his example of even stepping out beyond the disciples, beyond others, his willingness to just cross lines other people weren't crossing, his willingness to just go radical in the way that you called him to. Lord, would you do that same thing in our heart and our life? Lord, I thank you that you've called venture to a place that we just confess before you, this is hard. It's hard to wrestle through these things. It's hard to think about just stepping out like this. But I also confess, I look in my own life, it's in seasons like this where you've done your greatest work in my heart and I gotta believe that's happening across our church. Lord, we believe the, the harvest is all around us. We believe it's white because you've prepared people to know you and we wanna be a part of that. I pray, would you give us the faith that we wouldn't just celebrate these stories from the past. We wouldn't just read about what you did then, but we would believe you're doing it now. We would believe this new work through your power. And we pray this through the one who made it all possible through the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.